You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Great joy to all a brethren. There's that joy again. Look at the contrast here. Will you please look at the contrast between joy and legalism? Joy, no burden. Liberty, legalism, heavy burden. Can't get out from under it. A yoke around my neck compared to the great joy that Barnabas teaches and Paul teaches through Christ. There are churches today that are teaching legalism. And those churches are placing a yoke around the necks of those who are attending and they're stealing the joy from their hearts. Do you live a life of joy that God's given you through salvation? Today, Pastor Dave expresses a distaste for believers who are caught up in legalism, trying to force others to abide by rules or convictions that aren't something that Jesus exemplified. Today, choose to live in joy and be released from the burden of rules. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 15 as he begins his message, only by grace. You are Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversation, or excuse me, the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they, had rece- they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So to begin with, I want to tell you a little story. I like to find these little stories to tell. I found this one in John Corson's commentary on the New Testament. It goes like this. The story is told that on a snowy day in January at the turn of the century, a crowded passenger train steamed its way from Chicago to St. Louis. At one of the many stops along the way, one of the travelers observed a young woman board the train with two small children in tow. Please, sir, I need to get off at the city of Beaumont, he heard her say to the conductor. The passenger Taking note of the overworked conductor, approached the young woman and said, the conductor is busy. No doubt he'll forget you want to get off at Beaumont. I've been on the train a hundred times. I'll make sure you get off at the right place. Several hours later, the train decelerated and the man made his way to the young woman and said, this is the spot. Here is where you want to get off. Thanking him, she gathered her children and went off into the blizzard. Half an hour had passed before the conductor called out, where's the woman who wants to get off at Beaumont? It's coming up in five minutes. Horrified at what he heard, the man said, what do you mean? Beaumont was the last stop. 
No, sir, replied the conductor. The last stop we made was to pick up water at a tank in the middle of nowhere. Both of them instantly realized that the woman and her children had been sent off the train to their deaths. False information can be deadly. So can false teaching or false instruction. Suppose you were in the military. We have some military people here. Suppose your job was assigned for the bomb disposal unit. What if you had wrong teaching or wrong instructions about a new kind of bomb that was out there and you didn't know how to defuse it and you went about defusing it the old way? Not knowing the correct information could certainly lead to serious injury or death. Likewise, false teaching in a church can be just as deadly. Misinformation in any form causes confusion, not only to the individuals who receive the information, but to the life of a church as well. The false information spread could cause people to be led astray from their faith, and it could cause the death of the church. The Bible is filled with warnings regarding false teachers. Jesus himself spoke many times about false prophets and false teachers and warned that they would come. Matthew 7, verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come into you, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Matthew 24, 11, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Matthew 24, verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The apostles speak boldly about false teaching as well. John, the apostle, writes in 1 John 4, verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, that te- but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. Peter, in 2 Peter, says this, but there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. The Apostle Paul, in every single epistle that he wrote, warns about false teaching, false prophets coming into churches and spreading false doctrine causing a disruption in the unity of the brethren. In fact, Paul's entire book to the Galatians, his entire letter to the Galatian church was about this very issue, the same issue that we are studying today. The Judaizers and how they came to spread false doctrine into the church. How do you deal with false doctrine? How do you deal with false teachers? Paul writing to his beloved son Timothy in the faith, gave such a warning about anyone who would teach anything else except the true gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 5, Paul tells of these people who misuse the word of God and tells Timothy what to do. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil, suspicions, useless wranglings of men or corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. I think false teaching is the reason that James writes in his his epistle, James 3, verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. 
Why do you think teachers will receive a stricter judgment? Why do you think that's going to happen? I think it's going to happen because as a teacher, you have a responsibility. And you may inherently teach false information that you will be responsible for. The penalty is extreme. Stricter judgment. Talk about extreme. You might want to spend some time in Ezekiel 34 and see how the Lord deals or spoke to the irresponsible shepherds and teachers of the nation Israel. He didn't have many nice things to say to them. But this is what's happening in Acts 15. New people are coming into the church at Antioch, and they're teaching a doctrine that could not only destroy the church, but also destroy the newly formed churches that Paul and Barnabas had planted with the Gentile cities. This new doctrine is going to cause a civil war between the two opposing sides and could split the church in half. So why is this so dangerous? Listen to what Warren Wearsby said about this. These legalists were attempting to mix the law of grace and pour new wine into ancient brittle wineskins. They were stitching up the rent veil and blocking the new and living way to God that Jesus had opened when he died on the cross. They were rebuilding the wall between Jews and Gentiles that Jesus had torn down at the cross. They were putting heavy yoke of Jewish, uh, they were putting the heavy Jewish yoke on the Gentiles, asking the church to move from the sunlight back into the shadows. That's how dangerous false teaching can be. This was no small thing. The very life of the church hung in the balance, and it's still hanging in the balance today as churches teach strange doctrines along with believing in Jesus Christ. These doctrines mix the grace of God with works. Doctrines such as, you must only worship on a certain day of the week to be saved. You must be baptized to be saved. Teaching like, unless you belong to our group and do as we say, you cannot be saved. You must do these rituals in order to be saved. People add to or take away from the gospel message, and when they do that, they deny the work of Christ on the cross. They actually deny that work that he completed on the cross. Anytime, in anywhere, in anywhere that you are, if someone says to you that it's Jesus Christ plus something else for salvation, my advice to you is turn and bolt. Because it's only by grace, only by grace, no other way can we get salvation. It only comes by grace. God's divine gift as described in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. We studied it a couple uh, weeks ago. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not works, least anyone should boast. The gift of God is grace being poured out openly through Jesus Christ. God's unmerited favor that he has given to us. This is what's happening here in Acts 15. Men from Judea, false brethren, who identified with the Pharisees, were trying to rob both the Jew and Gentile believers of this new liberty that they had in Jesus Christ that they had found. As we studied last time, a couple weeks ago, Paul and Barnabas are now back from their missionary journey. They had reported to the sending church, the church in Antioch, all that the Lord had done through them. We read in Acts 14, verses 27 and 28. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door to faith, of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. During their stay in Antioch, 
men from Judea, specifically from Jerusalem, came to the church and began to teach this new doctrine. We read this beginning in our verse today in verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. These men will become to know, be known as Judaizers. That's what their name will be, Judaizers. It actually means according to Jewish customs. They also would be called legalists. They would be called legalists, which means they were advocates of the law and held to strict conformity to the law. So we had Judaizers and legalists that were coming into the church. These men did not recognize that the newly saved Gentiles were actually saved. These Judaizers believed and they taught that anyone who was going to be saved must become Jewish first and follow all the Jewish customs, especially the rite of circumcision and the law of Moses. They were diminishing the grace of Christ. They were taking away from, they were adding to the salvation message. What is interesting here is that as we further study, and we're going to look at this when we get to verse 15, excuse me, verse 24 in chapter 15, these men, these Judaizers, although they came from Jerusalem, they even associated with Peter and James and their group, according to Galatians 2, but they did not have the consent or authority from the church to say what they were saying. This leads me to a point. This seems to happen when you have false teachers. They are always doing something without the consent or authority from the church. They do it on their own. They take it on their own because their message is more important than the message of the church, and they want to spread their message. They don't recognize the authority of the church. They don't recognize the leadership of the church. They believe that their message is so much more important. So without consent or authority, they begin to spread their teachings to whomever will listen. And this always leads to problems. This always leads to problems. Remember back in Acts 14, verse 2, when the unbelieving Jews stirred up and poisoned the minds against the brethren? That's what these false teachers are doing, and that's what false teachers do. They stir up the minds of the believers against the other believers, and you have contention. You have confusion. It's interesting to me what John Corson said in his commentary. He said, perhaps these men were sincere. Nonetheless, they were sincerely wrong in insisting that the new Gentiles believer be circumcised before they could be saved. In other words, they were wrong to insist to become a Christian, one first must become a Jew. See, one can be seer in what you do, and you can be sincerely wrong as you do it. And what happens next is no small surprise. This usually happens when false teaching is occurring and it is exposed. Look at, look at Acts 15.2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should, of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles, the elders, about this question. Huh. No small dissension and dispute. I guess not. This is a nice way of saying that they had a pretty big argument. I'm sure there was shouting. I'm sure tempers flared. I'm sure people were coming back and forth at each other. What was the result of this dispute? Division. That's the result. This is usually the tragic result of false teaching. Division. The church is divided. Confusion rams and runs rampant in the church. And who's victorious? Satan is victorious. He's forever searching for ways to cause disunity among the brethren. I mean, look at 
the scenario here. Paul and Barnabas had a great experience on their journey. Many, many people came to the Lord. A plentiful harvest ensued. Many came to faith and were born again into a living hope. They came back to the church full of hope, full of excitement. And as they shared with the church the experiences, the excitement spread to the brethren in the church. Excitement was abounding. People were having all kinds of hope. They glorified the Lord. The word of God was taught. Did they really think Satan was just going to sit around and do nothing? Did they really think, were they, I, I, were they that unaware, that naive? Have you ever noticed in your life when you've had a great time of worship, when you've had a great Bible study, when you've heard the Word of God taught and you really get lifted up, you go to a retreat or a conference and you come back and you're so full of the Holy Spirit, you're so full of this wondrous and you're just like beaming, what happens? Bam. It's like he's waiting as soon as you walk out the door. He's waiting for you. To hit you with a circumstance or, or something here, here and there. Why? Because he wants to steal that joy that you've gotten. To steal that joy that you had. He loves to take that joy. And we're always blindsided, even though we should be prepared. I myself, we're blindsided. It's like we think it can't happen. It happened to the apostles when they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They couldn't heal the boy. They couldn't heal the demonic boy. Soon after Paul and Barnabas returned and reported all the mighty things that the Lord had accomplished, these guys come along. R. Kent Hughes gives this description. Goodbye, free grace. Goodbye, joy. These men, these Judaizers, did not deny salvation by grace per se, but they said that salvation came by grace plus, specifically grace plus circumcision. These were the kind of ecclesiastical wet blankets who can listen to the testimony of a new convert and say, well, that's okay, but there's something more that you must do before you have the whole package. It can't be that simple. These Judaizers did not know the joy of the pure grace that God has given us. They did not know the joy of God's divine favor freely given to us. You have that joy today? You know that joy of the grace that God has given us? Or are you living under the heavy burden of Legalism. You're living under the heavy burden of the do's and the don'ts. That's a bad place to be because when you're there, you have burdens galore. You don't have joy. You don't have peace. You're always looking around for some way to get out of that, to do something, to help yourself, to come out from under that. When everything you need has been done for you on the cross, It's been completed on the cross of Jesus Christ. He lifted the burden of sin off of you when he died on that cross. His blood cleansed you from all sin. It was his blood and his blood alone that did that. If you don't know that joy today, it's my fervent prayer that you will. My fervent prayer that you will experience that joy. The joy that can only come from abounding in the grace of God. And knowing that it's real and that by faith you claim that grace of God as your own. And you say, thank you. And you walk in that liberty that God has given us. Not a license to sin. Not a license to do wrong. A liberty not to sin. A liberty not to do the wrong things. A liberty that only can come from knowing the pure grace of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible wants you to have. The Antioch church decides, you know what? We're going to send Paul Barnabas to Jerusalem to ask the elders and the apostles about that. This is a smart move. Let's get it right. 
Let's get it right. Let's go to Jerusalem and ask them this question. Is this true? What's going on here? I mean, Jerusalem was the home of the mother church. Jerusalem was also the center of Judaism. It was in the center of Judea. Kind of a scary place to go for these guys. Look in verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. They also caused great joy to the brethren. As Paul and Barnabas make their way to Jerusalem, they're still Paul and Barnabas. They're still doing the things that they normally do. They're walking along, spreading the joy of the Lord, telling people about the wonderful conversions of the Gentiles, and people are having joy, great joy to all brethren. There's that joy again. Look at the contrast here, will you please? Look at the contrast between joy and legalism. Joy, no burden, liberty, legalism, heavy burden, can't get out from under it, a yoke around my neck compared to the great joy that Barnabas teaches and Paul teaches through Christ. There are churches today that are teaching legalism, and those churches are placing a yoke around the necks of those who are attending, and they're stealing the joy from their hearts. These churches are telling people that they're not good enough because they haven't obeyed this commandment or haven't done this thing or they haven't shown enough fruit in their lives. They're saying that you must do this and do that and do and do and do and do. A lot of do. And if you don't, you certainly aren't saved. We have proof. Look, you're not saved. These people leave these churches beaten and defeated. They leave without joy because they place a heavy yoke upon them. It's like me walking around, okay, today what we're going to do, I'm going to take a, I have about 40 anvils up here. I want you to carry one out when you leave, all right? Everybody want to carry these anvils? They say, Jesus on them. Carry this anvil with you. Put it on your shoulder and carry it out. I'm going to give one to everybody. That's what it's like. A heavy yoke, a heavy burden of walking through life. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Instead of walking with your head up in joy and peace, and loving Christ the way he wants you to love him. What do you think the abundant life is all about? Joy is so important. David writes in Psalm 5, verse 11, but let all those rejoice who put their trust in you, Lord. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those who love your name be joyful in you. There's a, what a wonderful thing. He again writes in Psalm 16, verse 11, you, Lord, will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at the right hand are pleasures evermore. Jesus himself said in John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain with you and that your joy may be full. Paul himself says in Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The gospel message brings joys to the heart of men, not pain and anguish, not a heavy burden. It's a joyous burden. You carry joy with you everywhere you go. Can people see the joy of the Lord in you? You carry that joy with you? Is it, is it evident? We used to sing a song, there's joy in the Lord, there's love in his spirit, there's hope in the knowledge of him. What a great song it was. That's where our joy is, is in the Lord. Why live under heavy bondage when you can live in joy, freedom, and liberty in Jesus Christ? Why take a yoke and place it on yourselves that we can't bear? You are a sure. 
You've been listening to Pastor Dave on Assure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.